welcome everybody to this episode of What's the Obsession With? It's a podcast where we take a closer look at various culture obsessions from a historical, psychological, uh, cultural, what other, what, how else do we look at it? We just usually generally- say, after you say historical and psychological, we just start making stuff up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like a funny standpoint. Anyway, we, why are people so into the thing? That's basically what we're trying to get to the bottom of in every avenue that we can explore uh, legitimately. So Adri, what are we talking about today? In honor of Pride Month, uh, we are going to look at Our Flag Means Death. So it's been a while since we've recorded. It has. But we decided in the pre-show that that's a good thing because we only talk about real true obsessions. We don't talk about whatever Twitter decided that we're obsessed with. Um, right? I mean, we had something way deeper to say and it involved Bill Burnham as usual. Yes. As my, he, he's my blurbo. Can you actually, can you, can you describe, can you uh, define what a blurbo is for if we have anyone who's not part of fandom in here? So I tried to explain this to my husband. So this is how I, this is how I feel about it. And then we can move on because that's not at all the topic today, but I think it's like the singular of OTP. So an OTP needs to be a couple or a throuple and the Blorbo is the singular person of that relationship between fandom and that's a good way to describe it because it's it's, it's really not just that it's like a, a character or an actor or someone that you like. No, it's, it's, it had, there's a level of like, I think about this a lot in, in, in a caring way. So it has been a while since we've recorded. We talked a little bit in the pre-show about how we, uh, we think that that's actually a really good thing because we are making content that we actually believe in really passionately. And it's not something that we just produce to make sure that we're capitalizing on the latest thing. And not to say that we don't like see if it's relevant and if other people care, because I don't think that we do what's the obsession if we think only we are obsessed with it. But if we just hit every trending show or topic, we wouldn't care enough to make the content that we make. That's, I think, what we agreed on. And another thing I think I wanted to touch on with this is that we are doing this episode on our flag main staff. We're doing an episode on a very specific show and we're not necessarily doing it on an overall concept. So I think what we used to do very uh, back in the beginning, and then we still do, I think we will do in the future, is that we did it on something like, what's the obsession with aliens? And we use that as an excuse to talk about movies and content that have aliens in it, or what's the obsession with ghosts? And we use that as an excuse to talk about content with ghosts or the end of the world or things like that. And what we've, I think we've been shifting to a little bit lately and that I could see us doing in the future a little bit more is having it be you know what's the obsession with specific thing like a specific show or a specific thing and then using that as a vehicle to talk about the genres it fits in so it's a little bit of flipping that angle so it's not you know for an example our flag flag means death we are going to be able to use this as a touchstone when we actually get started on the episode (laughs) Well, we use this as a touchstone to talk about things like historical inaccurate fiction, queer representation in media, pirates. <laughs> we'll really use it to talk about a lot of. <laughs> but we'll really use it to talk about a lot of different things. But we're starting with the touchstone of a show, so I think it's a little bit of a flip thing, you know. Versus like end of the world, I think we use that to talk about a couple media things. So I think this is maybe an interesting shift that I'm interested to see how it plays out in future episodes to to see. You know, we want to build to make content that is relevant to people, but it is also something that we feel passionate about, but then finding ways to tie it into, look, the obsession with our flag means death is absolutely rooted in the show, but it is also part of this greater genre mm-hmm. that, the, you know, it's also part of these tropes that people are really obsessed with or that, that have resonance with people in general, if that kind of makes sense. And I think in terms of what we are trying to out into the world if if we're trying to analyze or think about anything it's more honest to who brie and i are to go through the through the fandom and through the media perspective because that's how that's how we see everything our flag means death immediately once we started seeing the fandom response to it kind of really started pinging in our brains as this is probably this is something that we could really do a good topic on because it's different than it's just being oh this is a show that people really like an example is succession it's a show that people really really like and I think it's a great show. And I've also been watching it 
but people are not weird about succession. People right. are not, succession is not their blorbos. <laughs> if we can go back this to that. a very small subsection that blorbos <clears throat> those succession folks. No, but I think it's just in general, the way that the culture is reacted to it, it's, it's an interesting thing. So how do, how do we want to start this about, there's just been this extreme response to our flag being stuff. Right, so I'll zoom out and say, I thought it was going to be like us, the Tumblr crowd, and the queer kids that are continuously getting older. And it is like that's that's who we're talking about. That's who we're focusing on. But I watched this with my dad, so it's not it's not just us. It, it wouldn't have the reach and the numbers, like the sheer statistics that it has, if it was just us. So it's a good, well-written, solid, freaking show. And then it also has these components that has us going like feral about it. Okay. I would like to start this off by saying, I think one of the reasons why this show has really resonated really strongly with fandom, kind of this sort of fandom culture, is it really touches on a couple really key things. And one is that I think while this is a really great time for representation in media for queer people, I totally get that. The types of stories that we are allowed to have are so really narrow. So the types of stories tend to be a high school story or a coming of age story or something really tragic or something like, you know, I'm thinking like stuff like Heartstopper or like even something like Euphoria, the, the way we have representation and media tends to be in a very specific situation and it tends to be what the show is about. And I think what's really interesting about Our Flag Means Death is that it is a one, it's a slow burn romance. It's a romance that really builds up over the course of the show, which is extremely rare to get. It's a historical fiction slash fantasy adventure show that, again, really rare that we really get, you know, yeah, I want to watch a show about pirates, uh, you know, being messy and, 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 you know, sailing around and things like that. It's rare to get that to also be queer representation. And so I think that's, that's another angle is that it's, it's, it's a different type of media. And as you were saying, you could watch it with your dad, you can watch it with anyone. It's not just set up to be, oh, it's this type of show that we know ahead of time. Right. As much as we're calling it the gay pirate show up and down and left and right, it's, it, it is after you finish watching it, but it's not yeah. something that you necessarily need to approach as this is queer media, even though it undoubtedly is. And it's, exactly what you were saying i feel like a lot of i mean most media is always going to be geared towards youth it's just the the economy of it all but those because that is what younger people i feel so what younger people are looking for are stories that are about the conflict and the conflict that a lot of queer young folks are going through is being queer like that is the conflict but as an old <laughs> um like there's so many other messy things going on and i think what makes this show different i hate that phrase is that it's existing as queer people when being queer is not the situation at hand it's just we are existing in the situation and also there's not a straight person on the boat. It does. It never happens. Like I look at all of the Marvel movies, look at all of the Marvel superhero movies that we have had. H has there been just sort of a casual main? The only one that, character. The I mean, I think the Eternals, I think, I think the Eternals, have, exactly. That's the only one I could think that's of. That's like, okay, there's been 30 Marvel films or something the first time. And then there's the fact that outside of that, there's nothing traditional Hollywood about the cast. Zero. Like, the most attractive person on the show is Taika. Objectively, I think we can say that, right? Can we objectively say that? Um, yeah, but even, even he's like, he's a dude, what, in his 40s or something like that? Like, he's not... Approaching you know. or past 50 and, you know, not your, your typical white blonde lead. Your white blonde lead is a guy in his 50s, not buff. And I mean, we can find them attractive and we do. Trust me, we do. But it's not, it's still not your prototype, right? It's not your Hemsworths. It's not your Chris Evans, like your myriad of Chris's. It's not them. So that in itself, I think is 
people being able to point at somebody with a normal body type or somebody that's balding and being like, oh, yes, this person gets to have an entire story, too, and they get to have a romance and they get to be sexual, like, extremely. I'm thinking, I'm looking at you, Blackie. Um, you know, somebody who's, like, getting it and looking like a normal human being. Again, if you look at the kind of stories that people, that fandom tend to be like, oh, we want representation, we want queer people in this, and it ends up not being in that, it is with older people or people with different body types. It's a, it's a variety, and I think, you know, it's it's really easy to have representation when it is hot young people being messy and doing drugs and i'm not slagging on euphoria because i know people like it but you know i don't i'm a woman in my 30s i have no interest watching teenagers have sex i'm just gonna say that. i have literally no very interest. uncomfortable it is, it is the least interesting thing that. to me in the world and i understand the importance of like young adult fiction and things like that to depict it but it is it's not something that I find titillating or exciting or anything that that I I feel comfortable consuming in a way that's like, oh, I feel represented by that because it's like this one doesn't represent my experience at all, my high school experience at all, but also two doesn't re represent my current experience. And so I think it's it's ostracizing to be like, oh, wow, okay, so are you only allowed to be queer if you're between the ages of like 16 and 18 right. and on TV? And so I think that's an interesting thing about our flag means death is that it's having older people people who are just like normal looking dudes like you know he and, and taika you said yes he looks very hot in the show but he's also just like a dude they've definitely made him like he's very cool he's got tattoos and they've done him up to be this like kind of cool pirate but you know if you've seen him out of costume he's just a dude, yeah, he's a he's, dude. He's an attractive. Even when he's being but then I'll, I'll go even further with that in the least objectification way i can is that even when he's being sexy and cool He's got a little, like, his little belly pouch, right? And he's graying, and he's, yeah. like, a middle-aged dude. There's no yeah, way he's a normal. That he's a normal guy. He's some normal middle-aged dude. And I, that's part of Ed's story within the plot, is that he's just trying to be a dude that's a guy, and not this, this entire mythology that's been built around him. It ties into yeah. the comment that David Jenkins, who is the showrunner and basically the the everything <laughs> um yes oh my gosh let me let me read this because i think i actually okay i've been kind of emotional lately just about life just because i'm very sensitive but i actually really cried when i read this so i'm gonna read this and have that and he did an interview with the verge where he talked about when they started to develop these characters and when they started to realize as they were writing it that these characters were going to be romantic as they were writing that plot they were like oh yeah the the logic and the way this is written and the way the plot's going it really makes sense for for them to kind of this to lead to a romance and he was talking about how it just kind of really made sense and we thought that we were planting very obvious clues and hints at the fact that this was developing into kind of this slow burn romance and he said i was looking at how people were kind of afraid to let themselves believe that we were doing this uh, and that was a surprise to me and it's heartbreaking I understand it much better now, and it's like, oh, you were made to feel stupid by a bunch of shows, unintentionally by large, I think, but made to feel like, oh, maybe it's going to go there. Maybe that'll be me in this story. And then at the end, feeling like, oh, no, that's not me. I'm not in this one. And that messes with you at any age, I think, but especially when you're young and impressionable. Uh, I know that it would make me feel like I didn't belong, and that's part of where the response to the show comes from. I think it took everybody by surprise and the the whisper campaign and the reason this keeps building audience when naturally these things decay like the, the ratings decay and it keeps build, building audience because it's just community members coming to one another and being like no we're in this one like no really really we get what like we get it in this one and, and being absolutely shocked by very like it's a very simple romance there's nothing wild about it and it's not even a spoiler it's like you said it's very clear throughout the since the beginning of the show since the characters are interacting that it's there and i if i had not jumped in to see it after it had ended and after everybody came and told me like no no we're in this one i would have felt the same way i would have felt like oh this is not going where i think it's going and i'm gonna get really annoyed i'm gonna have to go and write fan fiction about it going where i want to go because that's how we grew up that's what we've been doing this entire time people called it the gay pirate show and i was like uh -huh, okay yeah like yeah, that's like, like, like people called supernatural a gay show right uh, and, and we called it like, the, like the, the gay werewolf show but it very was it very wasn't 
but then um it's it's the concept like if we're going to tie it into psychology it's the concept of learned helplessness like if we've been conditioned in all of the media we've watched that whenever there are romantic hints and this is usually between men because we're not we're not even there yet with queer women and any other gender that if there are romantic hints between men it's com it's comedic and it's part of the joke and it's not going to go anywhere and that you're very very silly if you think it's going to go anywhere to the extent that once i was in my late teens and 80s early 20s it was very much a clarification that you made when you were in fandom spaces you were like i'm not asking for this to be in the show that would be ridiculous like you as a sane quote-unquote fan would say that would say i'm not expecting them to write this into the show i'm just living my life on twitter because that's that's what we were told to get used to that's super rare to have a yeah. fantasy or and and i don't think a genre show i think we can call it a, a genre show something that's not yes ingrained in reality it's taking historical fact as its baseline and then going absolutely fanfic bananas on it and i love it for that i love that there's nothing about the show that is implying that it's giving you any kind of historical accuracy they are teleporting from left to right all over the caribbean it doesn't yes. make any sense how fast you're getting places it doesn't matter the language is not of the time None of it is trying to tell you, like, this is us telling you the story of Edward Cheech and Steve Bonnet and all of the pirates of the time. Like, I think there's even pirates mentioned there that weren't even alive at the time. So it's it's fine. It's not what it's about. It's just, but it, there's still not a magical aspect to it. Um, no, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a genre. it's a genre show. I think I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make a distinction because, again, I feel like so much queer representation gets lumped into, like, oppressively accurate like drama real world drama yeah they like again like it's so real and it's like dude i want like some weird vaguely historical pirates floating around they those feel so yeah it was in a genre show so i think it was a couple things so it was like a genre show that had a, a slow burn of queer characters it's really rare to get that to happen uh there's definitely those shows where it's happened before but it it's not commonplace at all let alone from a show on hbo it was this big of a thing to have it happen where it was like you know built up and so yeah originally when i heard oh it's the gay pirate show i, I immediately assumed that it was like okay they're like it's like a pirate show pirate. where everything is very queer coded and it's going nowhere but what happened to me is i'm watching this show and i know that the main couple is the main couple so i have no qualms about them but i'm seeing who appears to be the youngest member of the crew who is very, very the flirty, twinky style, probably having sex with everybody on the boat kind of character. And immediately I'm like, oh, he's going to backstab them. This is the character that is going to, you know, sell them out and or make out with somebody in a monogamous relationship or something like that. The entire time I'm talking, I think I went up to episode seven or eight, swearing that he was going to turn around and be awful because he was the most i would say classically queer coded outside of steed and steed was very obviously in his whole like late in life coming out situation queer coded queer coded on a show filled with with queer people right right but he was touch most, on like, in a second he was the one that i most recognized as like if you pluck him out and put him in a different show this is the gay guy like yeah. that's that's who he was to me so the mm -hmm. entire time i'm like here comes the when he like turns on them or betrays them he ends up being the most emotionally not emotionally stable that would be all the one day the most emotionally like loyal i think i think if you're gonna like point out a loyal character it's him like loyal to someone that didn't really do too much for him because i don't think steve did anything that you can see like oh lucius is loyal to steed because of x like i don't think you can say that he's just his friend and he's just kind and he's trying to be there for people he does it with c he does it with ed he does it with most everyone so i had to stop there and be like hey what was that why were you suspicious of this poor dude the entire time and i think it was that i think it's that queer coded villain that you see since disney and onwards he he's a character that exists in a lot of media that kind of uh, i want to say like can i just say like a shout out to shmi for being a little right? bit that's what i was thinking <laughs> I was the shmi. Shmi. 
he Shmi, but like Shmi was queer coded as hell. And like, no. I think that, that he is definitely Shmi, but like. Down to the outfit, he's Shmi. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's totally Shmi. Who is also known for being really loyal. But that is really interesting that he is basically this kind of stereotypical thing. And he has a really funny, <laughs> I think my favorite line of his where he's just like, actually, I think I'm so-so, but I've just decided to act like I'm cute. I was like, that's like my that's, new life motto. It's beautiful. It was, it was, I think that was where the you think of body positivity in a very specific way and you think of it usually in women and you think of it in a very specific, like, this is the thing I don't like about myself that I decided to not care about or to embrace. But he's saying like, overall, I think I'm so-so, but you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to act like I'm cute. I love that. I, I think that that was the moment where I was like, okay, maybe he's not. Going he's, to really in he's like, He's painting one of the characters where he's like doing a thing and he's like saying yeah. that they're like look like looking good. He's being really positive and he's just like some dude. He's like a middle age. There's a general sense of body positivity on the show that's really interesting. And also like age positivity. I don't want to like call back to the actual historical figures because the show has absolutely nothing to do with them. But the real life Israel Hands was 16 years old at the time he was sailing with Blackbeard. This man is not that. <laughs> Uh, Connor O'Neill is not a 16 year old boy and in fact I, I, mm, I'm just from just from viewing the show I, I have no idea about anybody's real ages actually but it feels like he's an older character than most other characters on the show so that was a choice they made they made a choice of somebody who is historically a very young boy and be like nope this is a crotchety old bastard and we're gonna love him even though he's you know for all intents and purposes villainous but you can't I can't hate Izzy I don't know how you feel about Izzy, but I can't hate him. Um, I have complicated feelings. Have feelings. Have feelings out loud. Okay. I think that he's an example. Okay. I think he is the opposite of Lucius. Ooh, say more. Yeah. But I think that like he is the same character, but from a different angle in that he is extremely loyal. He has kind of his eye on the greater picture which whether or not we as an audience agree with it he does have blackbeard's best interest in mind i think in some ways i mean he doesn't in that he doesn't in that he was really kind of judgmental when blackbeard was sort of trying to reinvent himself but from his point of view from his point of view he has blackbeard's best interest in mind and he is viewing what he does as a sense of loyalty to him so even when he betrays him it comes from a place of thinking he's doing the right thing, whether or not he is doing the right thing. Like that's not, I know there's like discourse and fandom about that. And right. a lot of people hate Izzy and that's kind of a, a thing and that's super valid. But I just think that it's interesting to note that he is a character that does feel like he is, he is being loyal. He is being devoted and like he is doing the right thing. I think in that instance, I don't even think, I don't think Izzy's seeing that moment as him betraying Blackbeard at all. He's, he's turning in speed and he has a plan to get Ed out of it, but that's, Interesting that you say that you think he's like the foil to Lucius. I think he's the foil to Mary. I have very, very strong feelings about him being a foil to Mary. She's devoted in the sense that she's sticking by this person who she has no, no love for, no interest in. Whereas that's the opposite of the devotion that Izzy has for Ed. If you can call it in love or you can call it adoring or whatever, but he idolizes Ed in this way and that's a marriage they've been in in a long time whether there's any romance there or not whether there's any other kind of aspect to their relationship they've been together for a long time and now Ed's like I'm gonna go and reinvent myself and the same thing's happening with Mary and Steed where they've been married for a long time and she's put up with a lot and now he's like I'm gonna go and reinvent myself and so both Ed and Steed are saying like good on you for having put all these years into this whether it was good or bad with me, I'm going to go and do my thing now, no matter what that does to you. So I see them as both of each other a lot more, although I'm interested in your, in your angle it, too. It, okay, so here's, here's the comparison now. I think the difference between Mary and Izzy is that Mary was ready, willing, and able to let Steed go and let him live his new life. So Absolutely. if we view them as examples of people who are holding both Steed and Blackbeard to their old life and their old ways. Mary was aggressively not wanting Steed there and also was 
really supportive of him when he talked about being in love with Blackbeard and also very supportive of him at finding ways that would mutually benefit them both getting out of the situation by faking his death. And so she represents somebody who is willing to let him let go of his past life. So he had to let go of that. Whereas Izzy is someone who is Blackbeard's thing and he is not willing to let him go. He is not willing to let him move past this part of his life. So they're really opposites in terms of how, how they let these two characters facilitate that growth about themselves. So, right. right? So, it's, that complete, it's, an, it's that complete oppositeness that I love about comparing those two characters. Yeah, I think that just comes back to allowing characters to be really fleshed out, even if they're only on screen for a short amount of time. So I think even this, that's why we see a lot of the small characters have really fleshed out lives. That's why I want to talk about Nana. I love Nana. Nana's my yeah. favorite. Nana's amazing. Okay, so I love Nana because I love Jim. And I love Jim because I did not see Jim coming. Because, and my sister told me ahead of time, my sister told me, oh, there's a non-binary character. And I thought, much like the queer baiting, that the non-binary character was going to be either like, I, I didn't think it was going to be an explicitly non-binary character. I thought it was going to be a female character that dressed in pants the whole time, right? That's what I'm used to when somebody tells me there's a non-binary character. And it was aggressively not that, and I loved it. And what happens with Jim, for me personally, is multifaceted. It's not an aggressive, disgusted rejection of femininity, which is why, what I come to expect when somebody that's assigned female at, as female at birth is non-binary is an aggressive disgust for things that are feminine, which is untrue, but is what is represented in media so often. So that not being it, it being this kind of like ambivalence to gender, that was like beautiful to just see exist, this ambivalence to gender, this being like, no, like I'm not a unlucky woman on board or whatever. I'm not, I'm Jim, that's it. Just leave it at that. There's nothing complex about it. And then the easy acceptance, not only of the crew, but of Nana, of this woman who raised Jim, it was so instant when Jim just goes, actually, I, like, I go by Jim now. Okay, come have some cake. The lack of pause, the lack of, oh, that's new. The lack of anything. It's just this unquestioned acceptance of who this child they raised has become. And then going immediately into Latina mom mode of, is that your husband? You know, are you living in sin? Uh, you know, that, that whole, like, it was actually really funny. It sounds horrible when I say it like that, but it was really funny how she immediately goes into like, have you found somebody? Are you still single? <laughs> like normal Latina mom mode. And I love that. That was amazing. And the other thing about, I love about Jim is the Latin representation is complicated on TV. It's come a long way from being, you know, criminals and cops, which is what it was for a long time. Uh, criminals, mates, and cops is all it was for a long time and still is for the most part, but there's a little bit more there. But a lot of the time when we get Latino representation, it's either, and this is absolutely a dig on Riverdale, Somebody aggressively saying mija every three words, which annoys me. <laughs> Just kind of some weird, forced Spanish crutch in the middle of completely English dialogue and somebody vaguely ethnic looking, and that's it. There's nothing intrinsically of our culture being shown. And the thing about Jim, in the same way that there's this ambivalence to gender, the Spanish comes out when Jim is frustrated which is what happens when you're a bilingual person and you speak English most of the time. The Spanish comes out when you're about, you've about had it and you're about to stab somebody. When your mom is saying something embarrassing and your boyfriend speaks Spanish, that's when it comes out. It doesn't come out in this forced way. And I think that that happens because Pico's identity of being Latin and being non-binary is, is theirs, is true, is natural. So there's not this, I am doing the representation now. They are literally just existing on screen. And that was, I don't know, that meant a lot to just see that. We got to see Jim's home. We got to see Jim's upbringing. And we got to see kind of the world that they lived in added a lot more texture to it. So it wasn't just they throw in a couple Spanish words sometimes. It was that we kind of really got to see the context of their identity and how it kind of played into who they are and, and also just like Kind of ties into like the what we've been getting at is this this was like this richness and this complexity to the representation that is not just for representation sake it's actually part of their storyline 
you know, it's part of their story that their upbringing, their, their history, their, it's, it's intricate. It's not the like beating you over the head with this is, you know, a, a Latin storyline. This is that it's like part of it. It's just built into the story and it's, it's naturally kind of organic. And I think that that's, you can feel when it's a natural development of the story versus when they're trying to get representation points where they like have someone saying miha every like every other word or something like that it's, it's, it's an extreme pet peeve of mine it's not necessarily a bad thing but it's just something that just drives me insane when it's just there's this one word or like it's just an expletive that doesn't fit where it should fit or something like that and the other part of it is that Biko has really taken this opportunity of representation and run with it in in ways that I never expected so for the Latin kids out there you know, Primer Impacto. <laughs> you probably haven't seen it in a long time, but it's something that our grandmas or moms, depending, will watch and then call us or text us and be like, be careful because I saw in Primer Impacto that there are Africanized bees that will come into your room and kill you in your sleep. Like it's that kind of like really yellow journalism, but it's extremely prevalent and they see it and they take it as truth and as Bible. And Vico went on this show that all our grandmas are watching and said, hey, this is who I am. This is the show I'm on. These are my pronouns in Spanish, which are ella. And it's not even rare. It's unheard of for somebody to go without rage, with compassion, with understanding the audience that is watching this does not know what the hell I'm talking about. And this might make life easier for their grandkids. And just say like, hey, this is how you refer to me. This is why I feel this way. It's really simple. My mom and my parents are really happy about it, that I'm happy with myself. And this is a story of how it happened. And just being honest and open. I wouldn't have found out if it wasn't on their Instagram because I don't watch this thing anymore, right? So taking the opportunity to be representation, not just for the Latin kids and the non-binary kids, and I say kids, I mean like any human, to see themselves in them, but to go to our grandparents and parents and our families who do not get it. They do not get it and try to explain in, in their language because they did it in Spanish and in their platform and with compassion. That's, that is part of what the show is doing because of who's involved and because of the story that it's telling. This kind of immediately made me think about Shit's Creek and something about it where my dad is very sort of very kind of closed-minded and old-fashioned and same with my mom. And they're very like that. And something about the way Schitt's Creek, the show is presented, the way it presents these, you know, LGBTQ characters uh, is really accessible. And I think that it's really easy to say like, well, why do we want to water it down? Or why do we make it, make it easier for people? But I will say that, like, I remember when I was able to watch Schitt's Creek with my dad, with my very conservative, like Fox News blaring dad, and have him genuinely understand the concept and the characters and actually kind of get where the people are coming from and really kind of see a little bit about their reality. It's such a gift being able to, however, communicate to these sort of like older out of touch people in some way to, to create a sense of compassion and to create a kind of a touch point and a connection. And obviously for me, this was just kind of about that queer side of that, but that was really, really valuable to me. To have that, to have that kind of point to to make that connection and to to present it in such a very just simple, accessible, straightforward, no bells and whistles way. And I think that there's really something to be said for that kind of queer media that is not, you know, I wouldn't get the same experience if I tried to watch, for example, Euphoria with my dad. I could not have that. Even if I tried to watch Heartstopper with my dad, I don't know if it would resonate the same, but there's certain types of shows that I think really genuinely have, have, I have seen it change his perspective. And I watched a little bit of Our Flag Me and Stuff with him as well. Uh, we haven't gotten to the part where they've gotten together, but, you know, I went and visited him and I was watching some of that and I was like, man, this is going to be such a really great thing for us to have a connection on to, because it's the way it's presented and the way the characters are shown. It's kind of really, really compassionate and open. It's, it's not, it's not a, a direct one-to-one, -one, but mm -hmm. it, it kind of immediately what sprung to mind when you were talking about like being able to kind of reach these sort of older generations because of the way it's presented. And I don't think it's like watered down. I don't think Jim is watered down representation at all, but it's still presented in a way that is like mindful it's just, of, of. It's mindful and it's just, it, there's nothing confrontational about it. And I know that there is a place for confrontational queerness and for aggressive queerness because, you know, 
sometimes you got to fight somebody. But there also needs to exist in complement to that joyful just existing, which I think is something that should be has. And it's something that our flag means death has. And I hope that we get so much more of that is just joyful media. And that's not to say that there isn't drama. <laughs> Boy, is there drama in our flag means death. And there's things that make you sad and there's things that make you cry. I mean, my sister was sobbing for half an hour about a seagull. But <laughs> there is joy in it and there's comfort in it. And I think that for so long, our media has been re-traumatizing for a lot of people. Because yeah, we get to see your presentation and yes, a lot of people have gone through some really harsh stuff and then seen it represented again and felt seen. But that doesn't give you the opportunity to imagine yourself in joy. And it doesn't give you an opportunity to imagine yourself being, you know, the Disney prince or princess. It reminds me of what happened with Glee, where for a long time, there was a lot of happiness in Blaine and Kurt being Disney princess. There was nothing, there was nothing quote unquote wrong with them. They were preppy and beautiful and loving to each other and everything was fine. And then they went and had like adultery, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and it ruined it. And it's not to say that that's unrealistic. People cheat on each other, especially teenagers. It happens. It's, it's a truth of being young, of being a human being, of being not just being queer, of just being, right? But we didn't need that. We, we had enough bad stories. We had enough sad endings. We had enough complexity in, in our community and in the world. And we kind of just needed a couple of Disney princess getting a happy ending that was uncomplicated. And even though there was a bow at the end of the story, it, it was tainted. And I think we all want something that's just happy <laughs> and joyful. And that doesn't mean that it's not complicated. Because I don't think you can look at Ed and look at Steve and say that these are not two complex men having a real hard time. But it's not the queerness and it's not the relationship that's making them be in pain. And I think that that's important. Our lives are hard <laughs> just by virtue of being alive, not because we're queer or Latin or any marginalized group, just because we're human and the world is like that. And I think that that story is good enough to tell and that the identities can and should be incidental so that everybody can see themselves in the complex stories without feeling like, okay, this one's not about me. Because if my dad, who has zero gaydar and... <laughs> gets most of it but doesn't get all of it watches the show and is like that was great and I enjoyed it and I laughed and it was good and I had a good time and I experienced joy watching it even though it's not his story even though it has nothing to do with him or his community or his anything right that's I, I think we need more of that I think we need more that can be shared not to make anything palatable to to the normative majority or to the dominant group just so that we can watch something together and have a good time. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. I think that we don't always give that the value that it deserves to just be able to watch something and feel joy. I think we like lean into drama too hard. Yeah, I think that's really powerful to be able to kind of see yourself in that. And I think when you talk to you about the lack of conflict, you know, again, I think I'm realizing a little bit more about why I kept thinking about Shit's Creek. Um, and then I'd also think I'd like to touch on a little bit on Old Guard in a second, because it's another example of really great kind of queer representation mm -hmm. and like sort of a genre thing. But with Schitt's Creek, I think one thing that was really interesting was it was a deliberate choice by them to create a world that did not have homophobia specifically at all. And they've answered, they said, this is just not, not exist. It's not that it doesn't exist in the real world, but it does not exist in our world. We are showing a world, how it should be displayed. It is a non-issue so that when people watch, they they see it presented as a non-issue and they kind of internalize how they're supposed to react. And it's this really interesting thing that's the same way kind of with our flag means death. Queerness is never presented as an obstacle in and of itself. And it's never presented as an obstacle that, that gives the viewer permission to feel uncomfortable with it. There is no part of the story where it gives the viewer an in to like, if the viewer is inclined that way, to, to identify with like, that's weird which sometimes I think a lot of media that portrays homophobia when they're trying to be honest, they give an in for, for people watching at home to kind of see themselves a little bit in the villain or to see themselves a little bit in the bad guy. They're a lot, that gives them that in. And I remember reading this interview that was kind of about Shit's Creek where it was just like, we are not giving anyone that kind of an in. We're not giving them that, that permission to, to even 
acknowledge that those feelings are a thing that should be happening right now. And the same thing with like our flag means death. There are so many conflicts with the characters. There's so many conflicts in opposition to the relationship between Ed and Steed that queerness is not it. That's not, not the even. story. And it's never given space to be the conflict at all. There is so many other types of conflicts. And so I think that that's a, a, a thing that allows it to kind of lean into the joy of it. And I think it's why, even though they're having this conflict right now, they're having this issue right now, it doesn't feel like it's a show that's taking away queer joy because the obstacle is the fact that Ed is this sort of murderous mythological pirate that has a reputation and kind of a backstory that he's trying to pull. And that is in conflict with the kind of gentleness that Steed has and also his feelings of obligation. Like the conflicts are real human conflicts. It is not centered around that queerness. So it allows viewers to really fully identify it with it, even if they're not queer, because anyone can kind of see themselves in that situation and, and kind of relate to that. And so it's kind of an interesting thing about that. I think queer relationships can have obstacles, can have drama. That are not, not about queerness. queerness. Yeah. And now that you mentioned it, I, I like when we acknowledge the, the hand of the creator in the show of like, this is what I will and will not allow within the experience of the show, because there's, I mean, we can always make an argument for the death of the author, but especially with television, they have a lot of power in who you align yourself with, and writing can be crafted in that way. And what I loved about the way that we saw Mary is that it was very, very easy, and this has actually been popularly done. A lot of people know the story of Steve Bonnet, like historically from Internet Historian, and that entire little mini documentary, in a very, like, nothing meant by it way, made Mary the the villain right the annoying wife and the person tying him down and yes he was an idiot but she was annoying and all these things right and it would be very easy in such a a masculine but not in that sense of masculinity but in this very masculine queer story to make the straight white lady the bad guy it would be so so simple and to take time out of the finale of the show and be like by all rights in mary's life and in her story Steed is the antagonist, and he's kind of a dick. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 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 okay that you love him, but you have to understand that this this was the situation, and there was nothing about what she did, and in, instead she did so much, and she tried so hard, as so many women did, to make something that was never going to work work. That you you're not going to make her your villain, like you don't get to do that. And I I appreciated so much that because it was going to. It was going to make her a Karen, for lack of a better phrase, right? If we didn't have that moment of taking her perspective and being in her shoes and showing that she was nothing against the guy. She was forced into a situation where up until now, women get forced into situations like this and just told to make the best of it. So there's just this overall sense of compassion, even towards people who you would be tending to make villainous or people who are villainous, like even to Izzy. You have to see him with compassion, even when he betrays them. And Ed looks over his shoulder and he just does this little wave. I felt heartbroken. I was like, Izzy feels like he's doing this for his friend and for this person he loves. There's this overall sense of compassion in the show that, save for the British and the Spanish, there are no villains. And I love that about the show. I love that of the characters that are characters that aren't just cartoons, which I think that the twins, I forget their names. Them British twins, played by a wonderful actor, by the way. I, I forget, I forget right now, and I'll apologize in a tweet. Amazing actor that does a lot of multiple roles. He's in a he's in a movie called Men coming up that looks really good. That's a villain, but very clearly a cartoon. Very clearly a representation of British colonial masculinity and all these things, right? Of the characters that are characters, all the villains are the heroes of their own stories, and I think that that is what all good writing should include is villains that don't think they're villains. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the British and this kind of colonial thing, because I think it's worth us talking about, okay, when we're talking about the types of stories that we want in queer fiction, there has been a not insignificant amount of kind of discourse about the historical aspects and the historical characters. And I don't want to get too much into it about what they're based on. But the Mm -hmm. reason I want to touch on this is that for decades we have had 
fudged historical fiction mm -hmm. that kind of rewrites historical characters into slightly more compassionate people. But typically it's presented straight and white, you know? So when you think back on all of these sort of based on historical events or based on historical stories, those characters are all sort of whitewashed, not whitewashed, I mean, whitewashed sometimes literally, but also whitewashed just in terms of like their personalities and how, what horrible people they are and the atrocities that they did that's been a thing that's been going on where you've taken a historical thing and you've kind of cleaned it up and made the characters a bit better but it's typically to favor the straight white dudes um and, and i think that Smith this, and Pocahontas. yeah and and but now we have this story where it's it's a cleaned up historical fiction the real characters that these are based on were not good people and we're also not you know they did a lot of horrible things but it's like yeah we're also getting that too we're also cleaning up this we also get fudged historical fiction now we also get to take these characters and just completely rip them of their contact just like in pocahontas or something like that you know we also get to do this and take them and kind of remake them in our own image as we see fit for funsies and then also yeah. then use it as a way to do political commentary so i think the show it's very really helpful. did a good job of without any kind of excuses or not, actually not even being too overly heavy-handed was just explicitly anti-colonial explicitly anti-racist and explicitly very kind of modern in the way the characters reacted to the british and reacted to these different situations and it was kind of a really interesting thing to like use this as a way to also have a commentary on the past the commentary and to make it seem like it was not it was not negotiable they were bad people like it just really just presented it as a fact and it it was very just sort of matter of fact in a very funny way to make you immediately see the british people of these cartoonish bad guys that were sort of exerting their will which is just interesting so it's using the genre of this like historical fiction to also sort of comment on history like you said there's no qualms about it there's there's no situation where there's a sympathetic you know character that's like well i'm doing this for the crown because this is what i believe I'm like no like there, there is no excuse. There is no of the times. Those men knew what they were doing. So to make them Disney villains in the most like two dimensional way, I think is the, the, the way that a show like this had to handle it in order for them to be not full fledged characters. Um, and I think that that was part of the comedy of having the same character played twice. It's just like, it's the same thing, man. Like the British are the British in this sense. Whoever's perpetrating colonialism and whoever is being, you know, the law is going to be a cartoon. That's the call they're making. And I love that. It's mythologizing uh, this sort of past characters and these past things and sort of changing that. But it's also correcting a cultural mythology that if we're tying into kind of, let's just say, the broader genres of work, pirate things or cowboy things or, or things like that. When we look at like historical things that feature this type of character, it tends to be explicitly whitewashed in a way that is, you know, inaccurate. Pirates were overwhelmingly not white. The same thing with the Wild West. Any movie that depicts most of the people being in the Wild West as being white is wrong. It was, it was a, like, I think like 50% were not. And I know this just also because I used to work for a museum design firm. And I remember working on a project where we were looking through photos of the Wild West for this exhibit. And I was digging through here and I was like, man, I haven't hit a white person in an hour. I'm like looking through all of these photos. And it was just, it was like black people and people from the Philippines. And it was, it, it was like Native American people. It was, it was of such a variety in this and people in Wild West get up. And I was like, man, every single Wild West movie I have seen, historical modified fiction has depicted these, these people, it has, it has depicted these situations as being overwhelmingly white. You have this image of sort of a cowboy in this white situation and it has been fictionalized to be whitewashed and it's just not the reality that's not how it was so the same thing too with like pirates when you look back at kind of historical like movies that have pirates in them there you know the visual you imagine some white guy with really long curly hair and a pirate hat with maybe a feather in it and like a parrot on his shoulder that's this image we have of pirates and so it's kind of in a sense it's sort of fictionalizing it where it's fictionalizing these characters but it's also writing a wrong in a way where it's kind of it's more historically accurate in terms of the racial composition of the crew. Does that make sense? Like it's, yeah. it's different than Hamilton where they took white characters and then made them, you know, made them different races because they were sort of putting themselves into the narrative. And here it was sort of like taking back the pirate narrative, fictionalizing these characters and kind of making it a little bit more pleasant, like making them not as douchey and also making them very explicitly, you know, modernly anti-racist and anti-colonial. But it was also then like, 
being kind of a little bit accurate in terms of the 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 racial makeup that kind of makes sense just as like a distinction yeah. here so it's, it's fictionalizing but i think it's also sort of like yanking back that narrative a little bit and presenting it in a way that was like this is probably a little bit closer to the truth i'll say i have little patience for critique of the show um, <laughs> i think when there's critique of of high representation media like this because this is what it is it's a high representation media it's done on purpose I have little patience for it as an old, uh, <laughs> I say, because it's doing so much more than anything else is. And it's throwing, it's throwing stones at the guy trying to pull you up. And I, I dislike that intensely, that we do give our harshest criticism to the one doing the most. As a child, it would be easier for me to be upset or angry or miffed at my mom than at my biological father, because I knew one of those people loved me and would be there in the end. I think it's a similar concept. It is so much easier to throw stones at somebody who is on your team. And I dislike it, and I think we should stop. PSA. But one of the critiques I've seen is a lack of women. And I know we're not being historically accurate, but if you're doing a show about pirates, the female pirate population was small. They were strong and they were badasses, but there were like four of them that we can historically count. And I'm sure when we did our five seasons on the movie, um, that we will see those women. But we have Spanish Jackie, and we have Mary, and we have Evelyn, right? So we have cool characters, we have strong characters, we have fun characters, and they're complete. And I, w I much prefer a story about the complex masculinity that was on board pirate ships than having the character that is Jim having actually been a woman in disguise. I would have hated that. I would have loathed that. I thought that was what was coming. When Jim gets caught bathing, I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to get the hair down scene and the all of a sudden I am voluptuously fighting with like three buns undone and being a badass black widow. And I was, I'm over it. Um, and when that didn't happen, I was joyful because that's not what the story is. And hopefully we get to tell a lot of stories. And I think that we as fandom and as community need to allow the stories that exist to exist and to stop trying to make every story everything for everyone because it's toxic it's like asking your partner or your friend or your parent to be everything for you you can't ask a specific story to be every story it dilutes its purpose it dilutes its meaning and it's disrespectful to the story that it's telling so yes there are women pirates we will probably get to see more than just Spanish Jackie, um, who is based on several women, but isn't, I don't think, herself an actual historical figure. I don't know. Correct me on that, pirate lore people. But I am okay, and I think we should celebrate a story about complex queer masculinity, because it's a good story to tell. And I don't think that we need to add everybody's spice into the soup. It's going to taste bad. Celebrate the story that's being told, and obviously don't stop asking for more stories like you know, we need more stories about women but like real ones right i'm tired of black widow i'm tired of that archetype of like this woman is badass because she's sexy and also does man things like that's not reality like yeah there are sexy women who do man things we've seen that story 57 times like where are my normal looking women where are my female black peeps that's what i want to see I don't want to see a female James Bond. I want to see a female Black Feet uh, and a female, you know, Olawande. That's what I want to see. Uh, also, speaking of Olawande, giant, beautiful teddy bear, emotional heart and soul, the only true captain because he doesn't want to be a captain. I want more of him. I mean, also, too, depicting, depicting him as a love interest is just, I mean, that, I, again, we're talking about body positivity uh, and also queer representation that was a queer yeah. relationship between them but also allowing that relationship to kind of develop you know because it's between sort of a male character and a non-binary character but allowing that to develop really um uh, and, the, and the unquestioned gentleness of a black man is beautiful to see too because you so often see like okay well if they're not big and strong in this like hyper masculine way then they are comedic only right but I don't think that all I mean, he's hilarious, but he's not a comedic character as one would say. No, not at all. I think Frenchie's much more of a comedic character, if you want to call it that, right? Or mm -hmm. Lucius is a comedic character. But all I wanted just is sweet. That is his character. Like, that is his one dimensional character trait, if you want to give him one, is that he's sweet and gentle. 
and you you meet more black men that are sweet and gentle the way they are in the world so that was beautiful to see too and uh, just to fangirl it climbed back to number one on streaming it's been on number one on streaming for like nine weeks now i think and it it, it went down to number two or three after star trek something or other and then it climbed back up which i think is rare and I think it's, it shows the rewatchability and the comfort watching of it and, and the picking up new audience because people keep talking about it and talking about it. So it's not just that it has a lot of people talking about it in, in, in the mainstream entertainment shows, which I think, I think they stopped talking about it in mainstream shows already just because of the, of the age of it. They move really fast. But it's just word of mouth. It's just me telling people over lunch, you know, you should watch this show because you're going to love it. And it's people rewatching it because... I want to watch the comfort show. So I hope it has that longevity of just being a show that you watch because it's like shit's creek because you just want to watch something that's not going to make you sad. Yeah, I hope so too. I think it's also two shows with the way the the cast has been interacting and the creators have been interacting with the fandom. I think it's maybe contributed a little bit to like the word of mouth spreading and the, the kind of positive reception of it. They've had really kind of positive reactions. I know the actor who plays Jim, they had a really interesting thing where they talked about how somebody had made a fan art of Jim getting top surgery that had sort of the, the top surgery scars mm -hmm. from someone on the ship and had done the kind of surgery for them. And, and it was just sort of presented as kind of this sort of matter of fact thing. And it was really presented really well. And it was actually really interesting that they said that that kind of made them have inspired them to feel comfortable with getting top surgery and having it be worked into the show and having it be something that, that, you know, they were worried about you know, should I do this? Is this something that would be weird for the character? You know, just, just thinking ahead of just being like, if I'm going to play this role, but it was just like, wow, this really, the way it's presented was so, like they were emotionally moved by the fandom response as well. So it's kind of a really interesting thing. And also seeing all the actors and stuff retreat and share the, the art and stuff. Yeah. And I'm seeing that the interaction between fandom and crew and cast, which I'm always concerned about, you know, it's, I mean, we, we're fandom aunts at this age i think we've seen a lot but the interaction so far has been almost purely creative there hasn't been oh answer this headcanon for me or what do you think this character thinks about this which are the questions that worry me because then people get tied down to something that they don't have control over or they don't give the answer the person wants to hear and that's not what's happening as far as i can tell but i've learned to curate my experience so maybe i'm missing something what i've seen is people uh, baking 40 orange glaze cake uh, <laughs> Um, by the hundreds, there are so many cakes and people creating beautiful fan art and people trying to create fan vids, but that's become harder <laughs> as the internet progresses and, and the cast celebrating that full force, everybody. I don't think I've seen a single cast member not reblog some form of fan art or some kind of project. The amount of people that I've seen instruct in how to build that, the robe, the fuchsia robe with the birds on it and uh, manufacturers making like the fabric and stuff and so it's it's such an inspiring show not just of how it makes you feel but in its inspiration to create like it it tells people like you know join us in making beautiful things and i adore that i i adore when a show is like yeah do something good with this feeling that this show gave you and some some shows have done it but not i think to this extent and not i think in this celebratory way, I think. It's kind of nice. I think that that's definitely added to the kind of online reaction that we are seeing, this kind of collabor collaborative celebratory emotion surrounding it. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to wrap up and, and we're gonna I listen to see if we- I could talk about it forever. I know. I think I would love to kind of just touch as sort of a way of wrapping up in kind of a recap of it. What do you think are the main takeaways for why people have gone so feral in a fandom sense about this piece of media? And what do you think it's kind of, it says for media going forward? What I've seen a lot, and again, this, this might be a fault of the way I curate my feeds. What I've seen a lot is it's an adult audience. It's a lot of people in their 30s. You see a lot of like 30 plus on, on the, on the accounts, right? It's people in their thirties. It's people who are, you know, exhausted of, of, of the dramatic narrative and are exhausted of being a tragedy and are saying things like, this is the first time in 10 years that I'm writing fanfic again. This is the first time that I'm, you know, 
joining you know Tumblr or or Twitter conversations about a show and having these creative outlets in the same way. So for a lot of people our age, it's a return to a a creative fandom, a fandom that isn't about. I wish I would see this because we are seeing everything we wanted, right? We are getting the playground we've always wanted. And so we get to be purely creative and we get to just make things and love things and not ask for things that we didn't get because we've gotten everything we wanted except for season two so far. Please review our flagging stuff. Um, <laughs> um, because we've gotten everything we wanted. And I think that that's, that's why people are going feral because at last, you know, at last we get to just have fun. What about you? What, what do you think is making people obsessed with the show? I think, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think that's kind of it. It's just this idea of sort of the joy of it, the joy of it, the, that we're not having to also guard our hearts while we love it, that we're not also kind of having to put a bunch of caveats in front of it, like ignore canon or, you know, AU where this horrible thing didn't happen, that we're allowed to just enjoy it and make people are allowed to make fan art about moments that really happened. Like we, I've seen embroidery of the cute scene where like they touch each other's feet and it's like, you know, I never left. And, the, and it's yeah. a very kind of cute little thing. And it's like, that's a really cute thing. Or, or like, it, it's, I think it's, yeah, we're allowed to just sort of unabashedly find joy in this piece of media that is also fun to dress up as, fun to find cosplay as. I saw a really similar extreme fandom response in, in Good Omens. Yes. Yes. And there's actually a lot of, Crossover. And I'm seeing a lot of people go actually not from Good Omens to Our Flag Means Death, but the opposite of going from Our Flag Means Death and discovering or I never gave Good Omens a chance, but I'm going to watch it now. I haven't gone to the bottom of it, <laughs> but I like, I like to trace why fandoms go to different fandoms. But there is a, a lot of jumping from, okay, I finished Our Flag Means Death. I'm going to go watch Good Omens now. Yeah, um, but I think some of that. that can, I think some of that is, has to do with one, the joy coming out of the media. Uh, and two, that there's nothing really intentionally kind of bad about it in terms of like that the kind of the queer aspect, but I'm going to loop on that a second, but also I think the dress up ability, the, the meme ability, that it's a genre show that you can have costumes, you can do cosplay for, you can go to an event and you can dress up as characters. That's like a thing that's really fun to do and know that you're dressing up as a queer character and being able to kind of embody that. I mean, I think it's a little bit different with Good Omens in terms of, you know, I'm always hesitant to call this queer representation because it, it isn't but i do believe that the reason it's not is not i mean it isn't it isn't and i don't think it's just a cop out from neil gaiman either i think it's just literally like they aren't really aligned with our binary reality at all and, right. and there's are... nothing opposing a queer reading of it but there's no. also like if you want to like read it to rights they're they're not gender yeah, i mean and they've said repeated i mean this too you touched too on not having the death of the author but like also allowing the author to contribute to the to the audience response as we are in our flag means death. If you look at the audience, the author response in Good Omens as well, that's also extremely supportive. And I think that aided in the developing of that fandom because of him just being like, yeah, like they they are neither, they are not male. It is a love story, but however you want to take that is a thing that I don't know. I think I, I just was seeing some degree of overlap, but I am so hesitant to call that like, you know, queer media necessarily, but I, I do definitely see the the level of joy surrounding it and the kind of quickness that people really threw themselves into the art just really reminded me of that a little bit so yeah no there there's definitely a crossover there and i'll i'll get into it because i want to find out how that happened how they went in that direction yes. but yeah that's i mean a little bit of what i wanted to talk about today but we can probably do a follow-up we can do it let's get weird where i can talk about i don't know catholicism yeah, I want to throw in there. Oh my God, I want to talk about. Yeah, um, we'll have to see how how this plays out. But um, yeah, I just think it has to do with sort of queer queer representation, seeing ourselves in genre media where it's not just that, seeing ourselves in age appropriate representation. So it's not just sort of high schoolers. It's not tragedy, and I think that that's something that, despite the kind of cries for more representation. For some reason, it just keeps not happening. Like I want a superhero film that's that, that the characters are queer. It rarely happens. So, you know, I think that that's something that like we kind of have finally gotten the answer to. Like, hey, you can have like a genre action show that's not just all straight people. Like we can actually build it around this sort of slow burn romance. Yeah. To wrap that up, thank you everybody for listening. 
hopefully we will have less of a break between, between our next episodes, but we can't promise anything. If you have any suggestions for upcoming topics or you just want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at BasicStuffMag. You can also find us on Instagram. And as I mentioned, if you go to BasicStuffMagazine.com slash podcast, you can find a link to all of our episodes there. And you can also check out our YouTube page where we will reply to comments if you want to leave them there and you want to have more of an interactive experience. That's Until it. next time. That's all, folks.